And welcome to another dispatch from Afghanistan with Holly McKay. This dispatch will be answering questions that have been asked of Holly on the internet. And without further ado, Holly, um, are you ready to go? I am ready to go. All right. So first question is from Esteban J. Nunez, who asks, what are, what are the primary concerns of everyday people? What are the main issues tribal leaders, uh, government, et cetera, are dealing with? Are the concerns of the leaders aligned with the people? Um, I think uh, at the end of the day, everybody really right now is most concerned about the sort of the economic crisis and the humanitarian crisis that's really plaguing Afghanistan. Uh, once the Taliban took over and the U.S. left, all the aid was frozen. And so there really isn't is is no money coming in there's a hard cash crisis and so afghans are really feeling that every single day and it's getting worse and worse and and just sort of the cost of bread or the cost of rice and and just basic things are are going up and people don't have jobs unemployment's so high and um and you're really sort of seeing that as manifesting on the street and i think that's the same sort of crisis also plagues, um, you know, the Taliban and, and tribal leaders too. I've spoken to many and the first thing that they will bring up is, you know, our crops aren't growing or we can't sell or things like that. So I really think at the end of the day, the, the economy is, is probably number one on all levels. Um, and then obviously you have security elements too and, and people are, are just wanting to feel safe and, and secure and to try to live their life in freedom, which is, is something that a lot of people are are not sure that they can do or still sort of slowly adjusting to this new world. So yeah, I would say economy number one and then and then security elements come a pretty close second. Okay. Well, all right. Um next question is from uh Josh Blount and uh Josh asks are other foreign powers like Iran, Russia, and China moving into the power vacuum left by the United States? I think, well, Russia and, and China and Iran, obviously they're, they're sort of a bit closer in the neighborhood, say, to the United States. So they've always had some form of a relationship, I think, with the Taliban uh, to some degree, whether that was obviously underhanded while the other gov- government was in power. Uh, but you're certainly sort of seeing a bolder steps from them, particularly Russia and China. At this point, Iran seems to be fairly quiet, but you're definitely seeing bold steps uh, from China, I would say, sort of number one. Um, they've been pretty quick to, to talk to the Chinese. They, I mean, to talk to the Afghans. They have a lot of sort of interests and, and loans and, and mines that they've already, um, many years ago sort of taken leases for. So they have a lot of uh, infrastructure and economic and business interests here. And I think Russia is sort of slowly uh, navigating its diplomatic relationship with, uh, with the Taliban as well. And, and, uh, all those three countries still have embassies here. So they've kept that diplomatic door open. And I certainly think going forward as the United States, I'm sure for some period of time is not going to have much of a, sort of a footprint in Afghanistan, I think you'll definitely see those three countries um, really sort of take take the power reins as much as they can with the Taliban or at least develop good relations. Yeah, okay. Yeah, well, not not an unexpected outcome and uh, an interesting thing to watch going forward. So next question is uh, from uh, Hojo Moro. And um, uh, this person asks, what has become of the military bases? Are they abandoned? Are they repurposed by the Taliban? 
Um, he adds that he was in cost uh, at FOB Salerno in 2011 and has really enjoyed reading about it. Yeah, well, I was in Host uh, a few weeks ago and the military bases there, uh, some of them are, you know, have a Taliban presence. Most of them are abandoned. Of course, all of them pretty much wherever you go, there's certainly a Taliban flag that's rising high uh, in all the bases, regardless of the state. And a lot of them are endured a lot of fighting so there's not much left of them particularly in the the last sort of takeover between the afghan forces and the taliban um but yeah there are so many bases it's really hard to to put them under one umbrella but certainly in many places the taliban have taken over they've moved all their forces in they've got their armored vehicles and their weapons and, and are sort of running it um, but obviously the need for the amount of bases that were there before, I don't think the Taliban sort of has that need anymore just because it's technically, I guess, not a country at war the way that it was previously. Um, so there's sort of a mix between the Taliban taking it over and others just being left abandoned. But but you can pretty much rest assured that there will be a Taliban flag flying high at, at every single one of them. Okay. All right. So uh, next question is uh, from... Uh... Just beyond the wheat field, and uh, it uh, uh, this person asks, how does COVID seem to be affecting things there? I haven't seen any reporting on it. Yeah, you know what? To be honest, there really isn't a lot of COVID here, and and I think when I speak to hospitals, and they will say, obviously, when that sort of surge was happening in the spring of 2020, Afghanistan did suffer a lot from that. And uh, the hospitals were overflowing and there certainly were a number of deaths. But I think kind of after that period, it, it, things were really fixated on the growing or deteriorating security situation. So therefore, COVID really did go away and it's sort of a bit of a joke. Um, Anna Sakani, uh, one of the Kani network people running security in Kabul, uh, said sort of in the beginning that, you know, there's no COVID here since the Taliban came and another journalist sort of made a joke saying, well, even the Taliban COVID ran away from you. So uh, to, to a degree, it's, it's, it's quite true. I, I don't hear people talking about it. It's just not something that people um, really discuss. You don't hear a lot about people saying relatives died of it, although that certainly happened. But I think uh, living in Afghanistan too, you, you do develop uh, quite a strong immunity, so to speak. So I think, um, and it's quite a young population. So I don't think Afghanistan was as badly hit as uh, even neighboring Pakistan was. So I think, uh, yeah, COVID was very far down on the priority list of Afghans that were simply trying to survive. Okay. All right. So next question is uh, from uh, Dahiri Waziri. And, uh, and, and this person asks, how do you stay detached from the things you write about in Afghanistan? Or do you think feeling connected helps make more compelling writing? I'm certainly not the journalist that does stay detached. I understand that that's sort of a coping mechanism that a lot of journalists use. And I think that that school of thought certainly is probably a little bit more old school. I think these days a lot more humanity does get injected into the narrative. And I think it's a lot more acceptable for journalists to be a lot more sort of involved with the subject or to really sort of empathize. And, and I think for me as a writer, my job is to storytell and, and convey a lot of these human experiences. And therefore I don't, I don't want to be that disconnected. Um, it certainly has its drawbacks when you are 
very immersed into a story but I I think as a writer that's the approach that I take and that's how I can best tell stories but there is a degree of compartmentalization that you have to take into it you have to know your boundaries you can't take on jobs that are outside your realm you can't take on the hubris of thinking you need to completely change things or change policy all I can do as a as a writer is really just tell the story and uh, convey that message and, and hope that people take heed and people uh, respond to that. And I think that requires a, a level of detail and, and really a deep level of compassion. Okay. All right. Next question uh, from um, BM Gardney. Uh, it's a long question, but uh, how has the movement of people between towns and cities changed? Uh, is there communication with others in the country or in the exterior? Is there much difference or is it relatively the same? Uh, and um, also thank you for all you do and for the information and stories you provide. Uh, it's quite enlightening and a daunting task. Uh, you and your team are such an inspiration for others and other women in male-dominated fields and areas. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Uh, good question, I would honestly say that the communication within the country um, is sort of the same as it's always been. Afghanistan tends to have five or six different major cell phone providers, and it's uh, it's a bit of a juggle because each place you go, people will often take multiple SIM cards because you'll be, uh, for example, in Kabul, there's a provider called Rashan, and so Rashan is the best provider for Kabul. And then you go just outside the city or you go an hour away to Panjir and you can get zero service with Rashan and the only service that will work will be Eli Salat. Um, and then you go to a different province and, and ACC or, or just the different networks have different places. So it's a bit of a juggle in that respect. Um, so that communication still stands. The cell towers still stand and, and um, you know, we still have internet uh, in, you know, majority of places, obviously in, in rural areas, it's a lot more challenging. But communication within the country has stayed the same. And, and thank goodness for the World Wide Web, because that en- enables us to have this conversation right now and also connect in different areas. So for now, uh, communication, uh, I think, is, is sort of relatively the same. Um, and we'll sort of have to keep an eye on it going forward to see that 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 stability stays. Okay. Well, so here's the last question for for uh, this dispatch, and it's from uh, Jane Stafford, and she asks, "Are you ever frightened, Holly?" Uh, I definitely say that that you shouldn't go into this work um, never being frightened. You should have a healthy amount of fear for situations that warrant. Fear, And I think that if you're going into a situation completely fearless, you probably shouldn't be there because fear is there for a reason. It, it, it makes us very aware of our surroundings and hopefully propels us into making a smarter decisions to get ourselves into safer situations. So I'm definitely not fearless, but I think you have to perfect this balance of I'm not panicking in situations and, and trying to think with a level head and, and maintaining your cool um, is very important. So, uh, yeah, I, I would definitely not say I'm never frightened, but I think that you you have to manage it in a way that's appropriate uh, to the situation and to to make the best decisions. You have to be able to think clearly. All right. Well, thank you very much. That's uh, that, that's it for uh, the questions for this dispatch. 
from Afghanistan with Holly McKay and um, hope everybody enjoyed it. And um, uh, we will uh, talk to Holly again soon. In the meantime, thank you very much. Thank you.